0: How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very, very special guest with me today, I have Clint Oram. Clint is the CMO and co-founder at Sugar CRM. He basically helped found Sugar CRM in 2004 with the goal of enabling companies around the world to turn their customers into loyal fans. He's one of the original architects and developers, co-offered multiple CRM software patents, and Sugar CRM was actually recognized as a winner in the prestigious 2022 CRM watch list. Clint, welcome. Happy to have you on, man. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. You bet. Glad to be here today yeah, it was fun cutting it up with you before. So I'm (laughs) real excited to get into it with you. And I think it'd be awesome to have everybody understand just where you're at and your point of the journey. So can you just walk us through what is your ARR right now? Sure. Uh, Sugar CRM started in 2004. We
1: are currently at 120 million in ARR. Um, Other statistics around. What else do you want to know about the company?
0: Well, what's your go-to-market strategy, your primary go-to-market strategy?
1: primary go-to-market strategy is focusing on B2B mid-market companies, uh, focusing on helping them solve all of their front office challenges with a particular focus on sales. So if you're a company that's looking to invigorate sales or you have a sales culture in your company, we can help you on marketing, we can help you on customer service, but the area that you're going to come to us for is, is really around that depth of expertise in sales automation and and everything around that topic and and in there our company our customers are typically ones that have built their own form of recurring revenue so you ask me what's my arr right annual recurring revenue um, almost every one of my i'd say every one of my customers has some form of recurring revenue whether they call it annual recurring revenue or not um, for those that are in the know around the the, the software industry we call our are salespeople who work with existing customers, customer success managers, mm-hmm. manufacturing industry—they're called account managers, right? You, know, you kind of work your way across the board, but that's the type of customer that that we help grow.
0: Okay, excellent. And are you? Would you say since you're in that that kind of mid market, you know, space and, and up, what like are you using predominantly product led growth, marketing, sales? What's like your your main revenue mechanism then in terms of acquiring new customers?
1: Well, um, if you were to think back to the MBA class, there's four levers that any company can pull when it comes to differentiation. Quality, price, service and convenience. Um, I would say to a large degree, most every company gets started by pulling the, the, the quality lever or the price lever right product differentiating around product and innovation or trying to undercut the competition with a lower price that that's where we got started no doubt about it but uh, you'll also learn over time that um differentiating on quality on, on on your product is difficult in in a flat world where where frankly so many products have just become um somewhat commoditized ubiquitous and crm software was was kind of a special different thing 20 years ago there's lots of crm solutions out there today differentiating on price oh boy i got a whole story about that one but the the short version of it differentiating on price is a is a race to the bottom right end of, end of story so um where companies are differentiating today and where we're differentiating and where we're educating our customers how to differentiate is around service and convenience make it easy and put a smile on your customer's face. And and that's frankly kind of at the core of what customer relationship management industry is all about.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably why Amazon bought uh, Zappos, right? With a combination of convenience and and amazing service. So, okay, and and can you walk us through real high level your solution? Sure. Uh, Sugar CRM
1: is originally started, well, first off, the word CRM is in our name right so so if you're again familiar with this industry and what we do we do crm right and uh, crm has historically been very much known and focused on sales tools helping sellers sell we've since expanded into a larger uh, selection of tools around marketing uh, automation tools helping marketers market and then helping customer service reps deliver outstanding customer service. What we do is we help companies manage that entire buyer's journey mm-hmm. every step of the way with uh, an instrument, every step of the way with data so that you can really tune in your customer experience around your buyer's journey okay. with the end goal of creating hashtag raving fans.
0: Okay. Awesome. Love that. We'll definitely get deeper into that. Mm. And how, how large is your team? the the full team or my sales team full team well both oh, Let's just go full okay team. yeah we're
1: we're with employees and contractors we're about 550 people and our sales organization in its entirety is about uh, about 100 with about 50 or so quota carrying reps okay excellent we look a lot like our customers to be quite frank
0: <laughs> which also helps
1: when it goes out and 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 uh, and winning their business and making them successful, we we get their we get every ounce of their pain. We know exactly where they're at, right? Yeah, so, well,
0: that, I mean that's key. That's key. That's why we start off every episode with where you're at in the revenue journey because yeah. there's different problems at every stage, right? So, um, and then are you bootstrapped or funded? Ah, uh, well, that's a whole
1: story in and of itself. <laughs> uh, bootstrapped at the beginning, but raised venture capital very quickly. So we, over the lifetime of the company, we raised 120 million in venture capital. And then we sold the company to private equity in twenty eighteen and and now we're we're growing under the auspices of excel k k r which is the private equity company uh, a private equity firm that owns sugar serum
0: okay excellent that's that is really unique what, at what point did you take on funding like you said early on so right out of what's the gates
1: <laughs> what's that right out of the gates uh, uh so I've, you know, here's how I describe it when you're building a business, either you're building a lifestyle business or you're building a growth business. Now, everybody you talk to wants to say, oh, I'm building a growth business. Absolutely. But if you think about the world of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of lifestyle businesses, right? You know, I'm I'm opening up a shop. uh, I'm I'm self-employed, you know, small business. It's about putting money in my pocket to fund my lifestyle. Uh, A lot of smaller owner operated businesses are really kind of um, lifestyle businesses Mm -hmm. to a large degree. And, and, you know, a big challenge of those companies when they hit a certain level of success, let's call it two, $3 million in revenues, they start realizing this is more than a lifestyle business. And, and how do I manage the growth around this business? And then there's other companies that come right out of the gates, focused on being a growth business. And and they're going to go look for investment capital very early. And, and we did that. So, um, yeah, that's the short version. i, I can I could walk you through every month of two thousand and four from from concept in January to fifteen employees and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue and eight million of venture funding in December. That was two thousand and four in a nutshell.
0: Wow,. Yeah that's a that's a hell of a ride so you might you may have well, why don't you start there walk us through that what was that <laughs> what was that, what first was that? story was it, yeah. was it fun was it a shit show was it all the above oh, it, was,
1: we, it was all fun it's all been fun all along i mean you know <laughs> oh, okay that's that's a little it's a uh, lie, right there's there's moments of just soul-wrenching horror and what the hell am i doing <laughs> and, uh, I, I remember a story of, of elon musk giving a talk to a group of, of MBA students at Stanford and, and somebody asking him, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? And Elon Musk saying, it's like staring into the abyss and chewing glass. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. With a few mom- moments of, of this is freaking awesome. So for us, 2004 was, was nothing but freaking awesome, right? So three of us were working at another CRM company called Epiphany, and Uh, I was a product manager. I ran the customer service product line. The guy who sat in the cube next to me, he's product manager. He ran the Salesforce automation product line. We go out to lunch on January 18th. This year has burned into my mind. We go out to lunch on January 18th, 2004. And he throws out the idea. Have you ever thought of starting a company? Yeah, that's why I'm here in Silicon Valley. Absolutely. I'm here to start a company. Uh What do you think about open source CRM? Hmm, I've really ever thought about it before. Let's talk about it. And then on the way back from lunch, I remember standing like two feet behind him and looking at him thinking, I'm going to do this. Uh, Fast forward, he and I are shaping the idea over February, January and February. In March, we went and recruited another one of our colleagues, a guy named Jacob Taylor, who was in the engineering team. So he he was the hot up and coming engineering manager. And we were the hot up and coming product managers. I was more Techie focused and John, uh, the guy who I, they, they, the guy with the original idea, he was more sales and marketing focused. So we all had some really good balancing traits. Yeah, that's great. We recruited, we recruited uh, Jacob in March. We quit our jobs April 1st. So what's today? March 24th. So this is 19 years ago. 19 years ago, I'm sitting there going, I'm gonna quit my job. What am I doing, right? Quit our jobs, Start writing code. Posted it for down, posted for free download on a website called SourceForge, which was the epicenter of open source software in 2004. Started getting downloads right out of the gates. And uh, in, that's in April and May. And then June 4th, 2004, we are doing a pitch to a room full of VCs at a local incubator in Silicon Valley. In fact, if you go to our Wikipedia page for SugarCM, you'll see a picture of the three of us at that incubator
0: pitch event and
1: that was a two million dollar day for us
0: was we, that real quick because i don't want to miss this because this is a good point was that my combinator or who who was that that what was the incubator uh, it's, it's a group
1: called sd forum okay and SD and you know what covid killed them it, it, really? it, it just uh it, it wrenched my heart i got an email about three months ago from the executive director saying we're gonna have to shut down and and because they had built their whole business model around effectively in person activities, in person events, and and COVID mm-hmm. killed them, and that was that was hard, right? Um, but we were we were in their offices. We rented an office. We were in the same office that Hotmail incubated in. How about that? Same desks, same office spaces. Hotmail. Oh, really? For those of us that that remember Hotmail,
0: right? Yeah, I still actually have a Hotmail account. My junk there account.
1: There you go. <laughs> well. Uh, that in June 4th, 2004, we pitched this room full of VCs, a young VC, a young guy uh, who was not even a partner yet, loved our story. He basically launched his career around us. He's now the CEO of Threshold Ventures. And and he he invested in sugar, he invested in box, he invested in just a whole bunch of other great success stories. Um, He put $2 million in our pocket in June, 2004. We started hiring people and finding an office in July. We moved into our office August, first week of August, had our first set of employees starting the first week of August, and then just took off. And then we started, uh, started selling in October, because we had a free version of our product. That's how we went to market. Our whole, our whole go-to-market strategy in the early days was wrapped around freemium. And, and we started selling our premium add-ons in October, and in three months, we sold two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of software, and that was two thousand four. That was having the tiger by
0: the tail. That's awesome! Yeah, great story. So, so how did that like? And I know there's lots of uh, lots of amazing ups and downs that, that I'm sure you went through. But can you bring us current to today as well? Just like how you've gotten to this point um 18 years later right from 2004 to 22 and and what what the journey's been like
1: lots of ups and downs um how do you summarize 19 years lots of hard (laughs) work um you know million miles on on uh united uh lived in took picked up my family and moved them to dublin ireland in 2007 to open up our european operations Lived there for just under two years. Then uh, the 2008 crash happened, and I came back to the office. Uh, my partner, John, who was CEO, got let go soon thereafter. right? Mm-hmm. Um, business was kind of stalling out. To, was it 2008, or was it strategy? And you know, at a certain point, the board doesn't care, and they just want to put a new person in. In comes Larry Augustine, who was a board member. He became CEO. And uh, we grew the business from there up to the next 50 million. Uh, and at that point, open source was losing traction in the marketplace. Mm. And, and we made either the smartest move we ever made or the stupidest move we ever made. Just kind of depends where you want to stand in, uh, in the equation. Uh, we continue to grow. So I'm going to argue it is a, a great move. Uh, right, yeah. But Did we grow fast enough? That's always the, the Monday morning quarterback, uh, quarterback question. Um, So we stepped away from open source in 2014 and focused uh, kind of transitioned from being an open source company that happened to do CRM to being a CRM company that happened to do open source to to being a CRM Mm -hmm. company. Uh, Ultimately, kind of the story in there is it reaches a point where technology innovation launches you and the early adopters love you for your technology innovation. But it reaches a point where you need to be focused on solving business problems and not talking about your tech all day long. And, and when you're an open source company, not only do you talk about your tech, but you talk about your source code. I can tell you about how awesome we wrote source code. And, this, and the IT's group's like, yeah, that's awesome. And the VP of sales saying, I really couldn't care less. Can you help <laughs> me grow my, grow my company? And so we had to shift gears. And we shifted gears and, and became a, a CRM leader across the board. Not an open source leader, but a CRM leader. And uh, and that basically takes us to today. And that's where we are today. Along the way, we our customers start asking us to solve more of their front office business problems, not just the Salesforce automation, the CRM business problem. And, and we expand our product suite through M&A. That's what I do today. In fact, you introduced me as CMO. I used to be CMO. Right. And in fact, I'm a, I'm a somewhat unique character out there in that I was CTO. Then I became CMO. And now I'm chief strategy officer. Oh. So the nerd becomes the marketer, becomes the <laughs> strategist. Okay. And, um, and that's kind of part of my own personal story. I've, I've always straddled those two lines. And, and now I, uh, I lead M&A for the company and we've
0: bought nine companies in the last three years. Wow. Okay. Sorry about the the botch on the intro. So I thought. Oh, uh, good.
1: I was CMO one point. Claire, who's our new CMO, and by the way, she's a lot better at being a CMO than I was. Uh, uh, she's probably sitting there going, "Hey, wait. I thought that was my job." <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this question because this is this is uh, I mean, obviously, to get to one hundred twenty million, there's there's lots of critical jumps. But like, from your perspective, what were the top three? like most critical milestones that you hit on the way to 120 million from when you started.
1: Well, certainly there's that initial rush when, when our software is being downloaded into literally every country in the world. And, and we've got millions of users of our free product. Uh, but you know what? The revenue was not keeping pace with that adoption. Right. And, and there's a whole story in there uh, about the freemium model and and you know that that race to the bottom that i referred to earlier Mm -hmm. Uh, if i look back on on you know was it success or was it a mistake it all kind of depends where you're standing and i wouldn't build a company around the freedom freemium model ever again Uh, i i think not only is it just a difficult line to walk how much do you put into the free product and how much do you charge for right uh we we erred heavily on the side of putting a lot of stuff into the free and and frankly that challenged our revenue growth and and you know for those in the audience who might be saying uh you know it's not all about revenue growth well it, it kind of is because you need the fuel to grow right revenue is, is how you hire people that's how you pay your engineers right uh, it's it's how you uh expand your what you're doing for your customers and and we just didn't feel like the revenue growth was matching the investments that we were making into the free product. And so we shifted gears there. So big, big early launch was free downloads, um, mass attention, frictionless adoption. And then we started shifting into selling and really selling software. And, and here's an a, a, um, ironic statement. We sell software to help sellers sell but we kind of sucked at selling ourselves. <laughs> we were better writers of code than we were at selling software. And and there's a lot of mechanics of how to build a uh, a growth, hyper growth sales machine. A lot of lessons learned in there. Basically it comes down to one thing and one thing only, velocity. First one to show up wins, right? And there's you can start unpacking that statement along the way and how do you build uh, a sales organization that's designed to, to be the first one that shows up and, and to be driven around the concept of velocity. And we weren't very good at that. We actually were almost, um, you know, you could cast it on from one perspective as uh, the cobbler's children have no shoes, or you just cast it from the perspective that uh, we were swimming in leads and we didn't have to be good. And, and then, you know, we, we had to be good to maintain the, the, the growth rate at selling. And so we, we learned how to be a real sales organization and, and a, a sales culture, uh, as opposed to just a, an engineering culture, if you will. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of insights behind that statement. And, and now um, it's about growth by expanding what you do for your customers, because it reaches a point when your customers say, hey, you do that part really well, but I kind of want one, one partner, one vendor, one throat to choke, can you do more? And then we had to shift gears again to be a company that knew how to grow through acquisitions. And, and that was a yeah. whole culture change in and of itself, right? Um, and I think we've done it really well. And that's one of the things I love about private equity is they know how to teach you how to do acquisitions. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of companies fail when they do acquisition especially when they try to figure out how to to grow through acquisitions on their own without really bringing in subject matter experts and a big part of why i wanted to join with with akkr was it was very clear that they knew how to do that and and not in a um not in an asshole kind of way yeah, but in yeah a very yeah. productive value driven kind of way so yeah that's, that's those are some three milestones in our history no
0: those are i mean that's that's that's, I mean, just to recap, so freemium and mass adoption, and then you're like, hey, people, you know, th- that's great, but we need to then shift to a sales organization and then grow by expanding customers through acquisitions as well. So I think it's really interesting on the journey that you talked about to to make that happen. So,
1: and I, I like I said earlier, I work primarily with B2B companies, mid-market companies in the technology space, in the software space, in the manufacturing space, in the business services spaces. And if you take a start big enough step back, they all have a very similar story, right? Differentiating on product, then you got to learn how to actually be professional and you and you got to take your game up to a next notch. And then you're going to look at expanding your your capabilities into areas that you haven't done before, and how do you do that well. and And that's a that's a set of growth milestones that I would argue every mid-market company has has gone through themselves. Some have done it well. Some have, have stumbled along the way. I would argue that we've done well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, where you're sitting right now, looks like you are. So, so keep it up. Um, so what would you say? Obviously, you, you have a lot of access. And I think you're what? 1.5 million users plus or mm-hmm. 1.3 million, something exactly. like that which is a massive data set. And I'm sure you hear a lot, especially looking at the sales function. So what would you say is the single biggest challenge that you see organizations in that mid market, which I think we define as what 50 or 50 million, 150 million, 50 to 200 million range. Yeah,
1: I got it. Well, let's, let's talk about mid market for a second. So, so there's a lot of different definitions. You ask three different analysts define the mid market and you get 10 different answers. Right. And and there's a couple kind of tried and true definitions. The companies with 50 million to 1 billion in revenue are mid market companies. And, uh, and you see that all over the place. And then, and then there's another set that say, okay, it's about somewhere in the 250 employee to 200 uh, to 2,500 employee range. Uh-huh. Okay, that's another way of saying it. I'm going to say something different mid market's a mindset. It's not a specific measure. It's a mindset mm. in that uh, you're no longer small, but you're not yet large, right? And, and if you're a middle child like me, uh, you had a real kind of deep emotional connection to that. There you go, yeah, middle children. Mm, middle you know. child.
0: Raise your yeah. hands everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. Like yeah,
1: you're always trying <laughs> to keep up with your older brother and, and why does your little sister get, uh, get everything handed to her? <laughs> so true. So it true. It is. All right, so go ahead. Sorry, we can do a whole episode. Uh, on that uh, there yeah. you go. And 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 there's kind of a bit of that mindset in mid market that you know, on one hand, you're you're trying to knock back the little guys, and the other hand, you're trying to outcompete the big guys. And 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 in there, kind of like the, the key point is I'm growing, and and percentage wise. You can hit some really fantastic growth numbers when you're a mid-market company. It's tough to show to, to peg those kind of numbers when you're when you're a large enterprise, billion-dollar-plus company. Mm-hmm. Now the little guys they can show like 300% growth year to year, and you know, okay, well, you know, so you went from 300,000 to 900,000. Good for you, right? <laughs> Try and go from 30 million to 90 million in one year, hmm, right? Uh, that's and, and there's mid-market companies that are doing that. And so the thing I like about mid-market companies is they, they, they have professional leadership teams. They have capital to invest. They set audacious growth goals. And, and they put the pedal to the metal. And that's, you know, those are fun companies to work with. Because oh, yeah. they know what they're doing and, and they're ready to go do it. And and I find companies as small as five, $10 million in revenue that are instrumented with that mindset and that leadership team and that growth capital. So I might I might bump down the okay. mid market definition into the five to 10 million revenue range if you've got the right mindset in the company. And again, I think it's ultimately about a mindset. So that's, that's uh, you, you asked a different question. I answered this question and I've completely forgotten the question you originally answered. Well, so I loved up.
0: your answer, even though it was totally unrelated. I mean, it was related, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but not totally unrelated. Rule number but- one on PR, answer the question you wanna answer, not the one that was asked. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so my question was, is a quick recap. No, I was asking, what do you think the single biggest problem is for, for the mid-market in terms of growing our company in terms of growing revenue what would you say that uh, you
1: know here's what i see over and over again and i'll come back to the mindset is is shifting gears from the playbook that grew you to where you are to the playbook that you need to get you to where you want to be shedding off history and tradition and that's the way we always did it and but and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit more there's some other details in there but it really comes back to more anything else is is getting yourself into a growth mindset that's by design and not by accident. Because I would argue a lot of small companies almost succeed in spite of themselves. It's almost by accident. Like, oh, hey, that worked. I'll go do more of that. Right. And when you're growing a mid-market company, you've got a leadership team who's setting out strategies, and you've got a bunch of opinions, and you've got people who are who are wed to the past, and then there's new people you've hired who want to who want to go create a new future. And and there's a lot of back and forth of you know how do we do how, what's the new playbook, and and having been through this journey myself, setting aside the playbook of the past, the open source playbook, and selecting a new playbook, CRM experts, not open source experts, uh, with a professionally run sales and marketing organization designed for 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 growth. <laughs> Got to shift gears. That's hard. And where does where does that kind of um, leadership come from? The top, right? Got to have the right CEO. Definitely. Got to have the right CEO who's who's ready to do that. Who's ready to um, embark on taking risks and being bold. Right. Be bold or go home. Uh, uh, What is it? The fortune favors the bold. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where I think it really starts. Now along the way, um, there are some key points in there in terms, you, you you remember in the end, people buy a product or service. So your stuff has to be good, right? Oh yeah. And yeah. it has to, it, it, and it frankly, in today's market, you gotta be great, right? And that's meets men, And, but your differentiation solely around product, you know, that's not gonna be the, the cornerstone of, it, it'll be a, a a very important part, but I would argue it's not the cornerstone of a continuous growth strategy as a mid-market company, you got to bring in customer experience and customer service. You got to, so let me say it another way. Um, product experience, brand experience, customer experience, employee experience. Every company that goes through their SMB growth curves, they have to do extremely well on product experience. The ones that, that uh, achieve hyper growth understand that they got to get a hold of that brand experience out of the gates as well. So the difference between a good company and a great company in the SMB stage, I would argue, is good companies understand product experience. Great companies understand product and brand. And that's the engine that fuels you out of the gates. And you never leave it, right? But there reaches a point where you have to start layering on customer experience and employee experience. you got to make those customers happy. you got to turn them into your marketing machine. Mm-hmm. right you got to lean on on quality of service as uh, not just quality of product as a differentiation strategy a lot of companies have a hard time with that when 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 the playbook was all product right and then even more importantly you reach a certain point where you got a big team right? it's no longer three guys and a dog in a garage or for us it was three three uh, three guys a cat and 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 an attic but um <laughs> You know, you're no longer just a small group of people that it's easy to keep aligned and, and and focus in the right direction. You're hundreds and hundreds of people. We have in the United States alone, we have offices, not just remote workers, but we have offices in Silicon Valley, Denver, Raleigh, Atlanta, Orlando and Raleigh. Did I say Raleigh? I think I might have said Raleigh
0: twice. You're Raleigh twice, but
1: that's OK. okay. Uh, Raleigh's important. Uh, um, And then we have offices in Mexico, UK, Germany. We've got dev teams in Belarus and Romania. Hmm. How's that one for a twist right now? We have developers (laughs) who work for our Belarusian team out of Ukraine. Hmm. How about that one? Uh, Managing the employee experience at scale. A lot of small companies just completely trip over that. So I'm going to come back and argue that the 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 topics you're you're looking to optimize when you're a mid-market company they just get they they it doesn't switch one for the other it was product and brand then it becomes product brand customers and employees and you got to manage all of them and and it's uh, it's more complicated takes more effort and and that's what I would say mid-market companies struggle with is is making sure that their playbook for the next stage of growth is one that's laid out by design and not by accident. Cause I rarely find mid market companies that succeed by accident. I find a lot of small companies that succeed by accident, but rarely if ever find mid-sized companies that succeed by accident. And and it's really has to be by design. A
0: lot of great points within there. So we're getting close on time though. So I want to, I want to hit on one or two last things and then we, we could wrap. But so what would you say, you know, as an organization is like for sugar serum, what's, What's the number one best skill or practice that you've implemented that's, that's led to the most growth in terms of sales or marketing?
1: Um, the number one best practice that's led to growth. Well, I alluded to it earlier. Uh, when, when you're a small company that has uh, rapid early success, you're kind of swimming in leads, right? Mm-hmm. And you can cherry pick and you can choose what you go after and you can kind of You know he might be a little slower to reply but you know when you've got a lot of things to choose from uh you can cherry pick and get there when you're trying to maintain that continuous growth right and and you got to get more efficient and effective and and the competition is now looking at you and saying hmm you know these guys are are nipping at our heels Uh, it gets tougher and and you've got to be you got to be thinking about velocity so so I'm going to take a step back and put it in the context of this this kind of marketing concept: velocity, value, volume, and conversions. It's often referred to as the four V's, where the V in conversion makes it convenient to say four V's. Otherwise, it's three V's and a C, and people it just doesn't have the same uh, uh, rhythm. Velocity,
0: value, volume, and what what did you conversions, change
1: conversions into conversions? So let's, let's let's walk our way through it, okay? Um, do you have the right size deals, mm-hmm. right? Do you have the right size deals? What, what if you've instrumented your company around an average deal size of, of $50,000 and you're bringing in deals that are $5,000, wrong value, right? exactly. wrong, wrong size of deals. Um, do you have enough of them? What if you, what if you've instrumented the company around $50,000 deals where you're expecting to close, uh, 20 of them, 20 new ones a month and, and 50 existing ones a month. Um, do you have the right volume right uh, behind that the right pipeline behind it so that's that's mm-hmm. value and volume then comes velocity all right velocity value and volume are very much tied together velocity and conversions are very much tied together velocity is do you have the right speed through your pipeline okay in the world of b2b software sales the typical uh, sales cycle is 90 days on average uh, small deals can typically close in 30 days and large deals can close in 180 days. And, and your, uh, your typical blended velocity is going to form from SQL to deal closed is going to be, um, it's going to be 90 days. And, and you need to start measuring that. And, you need, and, and what if you've got bottlenecks in that velocity? Now, I can say it's simply first guy to show up typically wins, right? But it's more than that. There's, yeah. there's actually math behind it. And there's instrumentation behind it. And there's measuring it. And then there's identifying bottlenecks. And, and when your velocity slows down, it kills your your, your company. It really does. Now, in there, to, to measure that you have the right velocity, it's also, um, do I have the right conversions, right? Am I converting the right number of uh, website visits to, um, to uh, 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 form captures, to MQLs, to SQLs, to close lost? You're going to instrument every step of the way and you're going to start uh, building... Your business models by uh, certain conversion factors. What's what's your win rate? Right, that's the simple one. What's your win right. rate? Right. Are you winning twenty? Are you winning ten percent of your deals? or Are you winning thirty percent of your deals? Now, generally speaking, in sales, um, it's it's uh, you can expect to to win. A 30 year deals, lose a 30 year deals and have a 30 year deals go to, to no decision. That's a typical new logo model. Now you're going to try and optimize that. All right. You're going to want to mm-hmm. reduce the, the losses and the, and the no decisions, but that win rate is a conversion rate. And so when you're, when you're building your business by design and not by accident, You're measuring value, volume, velocity and conversions and you're optimizing around that and you're identifying bottlenecks and you're fixing the bottlenecks. And of all of those topics, the one that I think is the single most important is velocity. That's the one where where I see the high flyers. They're able to close deals faster. And and by the way, that's a trailing metric. That's not a leading metric, which is a whole nother uh, topic in there. But by the way, this is what we do. Right. Everything I just described. This is what we do. We help companies figure out how to do that.
0: Yeah, no, and, and velocity to, to back you up on that, I would tell you that's the the number one single most overlooked metric that that comp- metric that companies ignore. Um, they always look at the conversions, they usually look at the the quantity, and then the deal size. But then they walk right by the velocity, and then it's even rare for them to look at velocity by stage, right? Because
1: CEOs like, get get hyper fixated on win rates, right? And and the story is more than win rates, and I agree with your your comment on velocity. That's, that's that's exactly right. So yeah.
0: So well, we are up on time. It was awesome spending time with you, Clint. Can you let everyone know where they find you, where they could find where they can find you, where they can find out more about Sugar CRM, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up.
1: To find me, do a Google search on Sugar Clint. So my <laughs> Twitter handle is Sugar Clint. You'll find me on LinkedIn with Sugar Clint. Uh, that's uh, I, I, I started that as a whim 19 years ago and it stuck. You can nice. find
0: us at su- uh, www.sugarcrm.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Clint. It was awesome. I love your energy. I love where you're going. My pleasure, Ryan. Um, and appreciate you having you on. Okay. You have a great day. All right. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the scale up show.